You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. In this episode, I have my buddy Link Casey on the podcast. He and I dive into a bunch about whitetail hunting, whether you're in Georgia all the way out to Wyoming. We discuss tree stands, shooting lanes, briars, tree stand height, cutting limbs, and a bunch more. I hope you enjoy the show. This is Link Casey from Northwest Georgia. And I am your host, Zach Harold. And you listening to Archery Maniacs. Yeah, 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 that's what's up. Welcome to the big show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you got to tune into the big show. You do, you do. Um, (laughs) Well, Link, you know, obviously you being from Georgia, you have came uh, to Wyoming, you've hunted a little bit in Wyoming, and I think it's safe to say that the hunting styles with a bow are a little bit different (laughs) from Georgia to Wyoming. (laughs) Oh, that, that ain't no lie there. They, they, they ain't as many trees out there to hide behind as they are down here. <laughs> yeah, so so let's just let's just kind of get into um, some of your tree stand scenarios and what you look for when you hang a tree stand and kind of I, let's just talk about all of it. All right. Well, I guess I'll start with down here. Down here. It's basically the same as everywhere I would imagine. I mean, I've hunted in a lot of different states, you know, southern states and western states and a few northern states. But, you know, you either, I mean, when you hang in a stand, you're always looking for that perfect tree. And sometimes you don't have the perfect tree, but you got the perfect spot. And sometimes you got to hang on a crooked tree, you know, but <laughs> or, you know, next close to a water source or on a main trail going to a water source or a food source or, um, which down here, um, you know, we can put in mineral sites and, in some counties and some states, we can use corn piles and stuff like that. So it kind of gives us a little bit of an advantage, you know, putting out a little bit of bait here and there sometimes. But um, uh, it's basically the, basically the same as far as picking the spot. Um, the timber, or, well, we don't say timber down here. We we just say woods. We rednecks. We just say woods. <laughs> and I noticed when out west, everybody's like, oh, look, out in that big patch of timber. Man, that's just woods, man. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, it's real thick, it's real brushy, there's a lot of underbrush. So, I mean, once you get 15 to 25 foot up the tree, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of shooting options. You've got to cut shooting lanes and, and go in and get everything just right. And and uh, um, you have to be careful, you know, cutting your shooting lanes because if you cut too many, you're going to get busted at one point or another. So you still got to be concealed, but you still got to cut your shooting lanes. And the briars down here are horrendous to try to shoot through so just have to believe me on that <laughs> hey i've been there yeah and that, that that one that you shot you had a you had a clear opening for that one <laughs> i did 
I did. That thing was, I mean, it was a great shot or great opportunity, you know, but <laughs> man, there were some other times when I saw something, you know, like I see movement and that's about all that I see. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is, that a, is that a deer? Is that a person walking back there? Or a hog? I don't know. I see movement. <laughs> you know, so, hey, it just depends on what kind of mood you're in. You know, if it's brown, it's down, whether it's a, uh, you know, a long bushy tail or a big white tail, either one. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Now, when you are so you're sitting in your stand, and and I know uh, what what kind of height do you look like? Do you typically hang your stands? I mean, they're pretty high or they're pretty low, or well, my personal preference is in within all the guys I hunt with down here. A lot of guys, it's all different heights. You know, some guys will go twelve, fifteen feet. Some guys go sixteen feet. Um, you know, I, I personally like to use a lock-on stand. That way I can put it as high up in the tree as, as I possibly can if I want to. Um, down here with the humidity, uh, you know, when when the pressure changes and that scent drops down to the ground, I mean, the higher you are, the better chance you have of not getting busted, you know, as far as, far as you smell getting down where the deer can smell you, you know. So I like to be as high as I can. If that tree, if, if the tree I pick will let me go 25, 30 feet, I'll be 25 or 30 feet, and I just have mm-hmm. to compensate, you know, as far as with a bow shot on how how the distance is, which, you know, today's rangefinders make it easy. They compensate that mess for you. But, but Yeah. Um, you know, and one thing that I noticed, uh, uh, like when you, when you hang a, a tree stand that high, um, I, it doesn't I, – I, I prefer my tree stands high as well. Um, and I've I've heard a lot of criticism on oh you can't hang your tree stand that high because then your shot angle is just terrible. Well, most of the time when I hang a tree stand that high, it is so thick, anywhere from zero to eighteen yards around the base of the tree that the animal's out there twenty thirty yards anyways. So then my angle isn't near as steep and my shot my shot is still just fine. I could absolutely agree if the animal was uh, you know, 10 yards from the base of the tree, and I could actually see the damn thing down there, then 25 feet, my, that would make it an interesting shot. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, you get that high up in the tree, and it's right under you, you standing on your head trying to make a bow shot, you know. <laughs> but, and you're absolutely right. You know, the higher you go, the more angle down you've got, which is obvious to anybody who thinks about how, you know, how high 25 or 30 foot up the tree is. You know, if he's directly under you, then, I mean, you're almost standing on your head or you're, or you're letting your, your safety harness pretty well hang you from that tree. That way you can shoot. <laughs> but, uh, um, in real brushy situations like that, I mean, if you've got a lot of brush anywhere from 15 to 18, 20 yards from that, from the base of that tree. If you don't get high enough, a lot of times you won't get that 20 and 30 yard shot, you know, a little bit further out because you still got that brush to contend with in between you and, and whatever animal you're trying to, to harvest. So, yeah. and then two, every time I hang a stand, if I'm going, if I'm going over 20 feet in a tree, I'll usually take a target out there with me and I'll set that target at different places and I'll sit there and I'll practice and get my angle just right and just make more of a mental note and say, okay, if that deer's standing here, then, you know, I'm going to have to do this. Or if he's over here, I'll have to bend over further this way, you know, stuff like that. Because, I mean, that's the the biggest thing you got to do with hunting with a bow is make sure you make a good, you know, quick, clean kill. Yeah, well, and on a side note right there, he doesn't do that the day before season starts. 
Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing that before season starts, you might as well just let that stand rest for about a month. <laughs> you screwed it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, you just unscrewed yourself is what you did. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, one thing that I like to do, especially with a lock-on fender, I'm screw- usually screwing my steps or putting in my ladder sticks along the way, is is I look for spots where not only is the tree not really bent, but as I'm screwing the steps in and, and working my way up this tree, I look for the spots where I have the most openings, where then I don't have to cut down quite as much uh, brush, and quite as many branches around the tree and everything like that. So if I am going along there and I see at 18 feet, I'm like, man, this, this has a bunch of shooting lanes. Then I go up to 23 feet and I'm like, I can't see a damn thing. Like, well, it looks like we're putting our stand at 18 feet because I can actually shoot from 18 feet. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and that's a great point. I mean, that's something you really got to take into consideration is, you know, not that not that it's that big of a deal to put that much work into hanging a stand, but if you've got a, if you've got a great spot at 18 feet, then why go to 23 feet, you know, and then yep. vice versa? You know, I mean, that's that's a real good thing to consider. Yeah, and so so here you are. You've found your tree. <laughs> What what do you you generally use to cut down those limbs that are out you know out there at eight feet away? Well, it, it all it all depends on the tree. Um, you know, if, they, if there's if they're big enough, um, sometimes I'll take a climbing stand with me and I'll climb up that that secondary tree and I'll trim those limbs off. Uh, you know, while I'm in that particular tree, or uh, uh, I use a pole saw. Um, which sometimes I, I do things with a pole saw that you really sh- I really shouldn't recommend for like people to do. You know, getting a pole saw 18 feet in the ground on a lock-on stand trying to saw some limbs off. That's not the safest thing in the world. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, um, actually this year I purchased one of those Huiman uh, extendable uh, hand pole saws, and that thing works great. I mean, you can reach out there 16, 17 feet almost, and you know, trim some limbs and make some shooting lanes. Damn, that's a long ways out there. I know that thing. That thing is worth the money. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and that's kind of the same way here. Um, the brush here, uh, you know, the undergrowth obviously isn't quite as bad, um, but it's not. I mean, I, when I climb up in a tree, uh, very rarely is there branches farther than my reach that I need to cut in order to shoot to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they are, um, I kind of monkey my way up that other tree and do once again, things you probably shouldn't. And, uh, I mean, hell, actually one time I was trying to cut this branch off and I couldn't get the branch to break. And I was, I, the stand was really low. It was like, I don't know, 12 feet. I consider that really low and I couldn't get this branch to break off and I had it almost halfway off. So I had the bright idea, well, let's just jump out of the tree stand onto the branch. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I thought the branch broke off. <laughs> did, you, did you crack your coconut when you hit the ground? <laughs> no, I actually landed in the top of another tree, and it and it worked out really well, because that other tree, the top of it, it was more like a bush. And and it was like seven feet, the top of that one, so I really only jumped about five feet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have to say I have thought about that before, but have never really done that. So, so being that I have heard that story, I think I'll refrain from doing that. Hey, well now you know it works. <laughs> it, it does work. Hey, <laughs> hey, when I put all two hundred pounds in, I guarantee you that limb's going to break. 
See, that's a little different. I'm like, I'm like 150, 160, so I got to jump. <laughs> well, I got to be a little bit more careful, though. Like getting a little bit older, it's not that I'm getting softer. The ground's getting harder is what it is. <laughs> so, like, I've I, I, I got to protect myself from that hard ground. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go to hang your tree stand, uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, food and water and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at what time of year are you starting to focus on different things? You know, because obviously the beginning of the year you're looking for, you know, your deer are going to be in the in the feed stage where they're really they're probably the easiest to pattern at that time. Um, they go from bedding to food, and that's that's about what they do. Um, mm-hmm. But as as the season progresses progresses, where do you start to focus your hunting tactics on? Well. <coughs> I I try to hone in on on the natural food source because most of the time a natural food source is going to be a little closer to the bedding area than a man-made food source. Now, I mean, you know, unless you know, unless a cornfield is just right in that buck's backyard, you know, a lot of the times you're not going to have access, you know, cornfields or so, like down here we have corn and soybean and and uh, you know and things of that nature, and sometimes some sorghum fields, but um, you know, like. In the in the early part of the year, you know, honeysuckle, uh, July, the blackberries, uh, deer just go crazy over them, uh, getting the buds off the blackberry bushes. So, I mean, that's a real good place to scout, maybe hang a couple of cameras just to get some travel routes. But um, the, the closer I can get to a bedding area in between that food source or that water source is what I like to do. And sometimes it pays off and sometimes it don't. I mean, yeah, you can go in there and you can bump a real nice out of his bed and area, and I have done that many, many times, and it really, really pisses you off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But you just have to time it just right. I mean, the wind's got to be right. You know, the weather has to be perfect. You know, that buck has to be moving back and forth from that area. And because uh, as, as, as it progresses, you know, once you, you know, before the rut, you know, there, you won't see a whole lot of movement, you know. And then once the rut hits, I mean, you're liable to see movement. Anywhere you hang a stand, I mean, you you might be on a on a trail that hadn't been used all season long, and next thing you know, there's deer passing that camera every single day at the same time. That's where you need to go sit. So, um, you know, where, wherever I hang a stand, or wherever I think would be a good spot to hang a stand before I do it, I always, always hang a camera there, you know, to see what kind of movement I have back and forth. And sometimes, the what they're eating on is the biggest key. Sometimes that. Uh, some years they'll go more for corn. Some years they'll go a little bit more for soybean or, you know, if I've got a mineral station set out or if it, like this year it's really dry, we're having a pretty good drought down here. So next to all the water, you know, or next to all the water sources or in between that that bedding area and that, that water source, I'll have a, a mineral cider or, or a salt lick, you know, and that just draws them in to get that salt, you know, to drink that water and keep them hydrated, you know, so... You know, there's there's some artificial stuff I'll put out and then, you know, go off natural uh, food sources. But that's that's how I determine where my stand's going to be. Cool. And so when you're talking about your the, the you try and get close to the bedding area, um, mm-hmm. I was actually just talking with another with a buddy of mine yesterday about it. Uh, he was talking about where he's been hanging his trail cameras and everything like that. And... Uh, he started talking about rubs and yada, yada, yada. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Cause, um, mm-hmm. uh, but anyways, um, I was telling him about staging areas, right? And it sounds to me like that, that's kind of what you're focusing on, um, mm-hmm. is basically they get up out of their bed and, and they 
mill around and they they may browse a little bit and whatnot. But basically, it's your big box area, uh, almost almost like their living room. Okay, they come out of the bedding area, their bedroom, and they go to the living room and they kind of just screw off until they feel that it's dark enough or they feel safe enough to go and expose themselves in the feeding area. Mm-hmm. And and it sounds to me like that's kind of what you're describing is where you're uh, uh, focusing your efforts. But that that's exactly right. Because, I mean, and, and everybody will tell you the same thing. There's, you know, they'll sit on the edge of a field or, you know, have a ground blind set out or a, a hay bale blind or something out in the middle of the field. And like, I am just not seeing this buck during the daylight hours. You know, well, you you too damn far away from his bedding area, and it's taking him t- twice as long to get there. So you need to move into where he's staging, where he's coming, just like you were saying, that staging area. When he comes out of his bedroom and starts milling around <clears throat> in the room and watching a little bit of TV and drinking a cup of coffee, you know, whatever them deer do in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you 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 kind of have to meet him halfway. Because it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, you hit the rut and he's hot and heavy after, you know, after does and just doing his thing. And he's got some, some man business that he's trying to take care of. You know, I mean, yeah, you might see him out there in the middle of the daytime or, or an hour or two before dark, you know, out there chasing the doe. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, boom, you get a shot on him and, you're like, oh, well, this works every time. No, that don't work every time. A lot of times, that's just luck. And usually, yep. he's thinking with the other part of his body instead of that brain between his ears, and that's why he got lucky and killed him out in the middle of a field, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you're willing to meet him halfway, you're going to be a lot more successful as far as where you hang your set because you're going to catch that buck in the daylight hours, during shooting hours, in that staging area where he's, like you say, where you know where he'll be milling around. And I've seen bucks stay... 15, 20 yards in, in a tree line just scanning the field for 30, 40 minutes. And then as five minutes after shooting lights gone, boom, they pop right out in the field and you can't shoot the darn thing, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and, and correct me, you know, chime in, but I feel that when you're hunting a staging area, and, and this goes for anything that you're hunting, but a staging area is very hard to get in and out of undetected. So you've got to make sure when you hunt those staging areas that you are in it up. You're hunting from the wind with the wind in the right direction. Um, you're entering in the right direction. Um, and for God's sake, put scent spray on your boots. As silly as that may sound, um, or walk through, if you're hunting a swamp, walk through a bunch of swamp mud on the way in, and then you're golden. But that's because you are hunting so close to that big buck's bedding area, you have got to get in and out of that tree stand undetected. Oh, and that's that's a true fact. If 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 you don't get in there undetected, then I mean you're not going to kill that deer. I mean there's there's no ifs ands buts about that. You're not going to kill him if you bump him or he knows you're there. And it, and it's not one of those stands that you can hunt every single day. Because I mean yeah, we try to pattern the deer. But if you go to the same stand every single day at the same time every day and you leave that stand to go eat lunch or whatever you do at the same time every day, they're going to pattern you and they're going to move when you ain't there because they know you're not there. So, I mean, everything has to be just right. I mean, I've gone to the extremes as, you know, walking through a cattle pasture and stepping in some of the freshest cow manure that I can find just to, you know, get some different scent on my boots. That way it won't spook, you know, the buck that I'm trying to kill. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. they're, they're obviously used to that, and it's such a strong smell, too. 
Oh, yeah. When you get in the stand, you'll be smelling that shit all day. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be careful. If, if, you, if, you get, if you get step in a pile that's got the runs, you're liable to slip and get it all over you when you hit the ground. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so... So kind of so what we've you know kind of covered so far there's kind of a cycle that you're focusing on when you're hunting whitetails, um, early season food sources, mm-hmm. uh, middle season is your staging areas right outside the bedding area, mm-hmm. um, then obviously you have the rut and those bucks can be anywhere and and they can travel up to eight miles um, so that that's a long ways for a deer to be moving during the rut. Oh, yeah. And then what we have not talked about uh, yet is the late season. So obviously after rut, December, January hunts, you are back to focusing on feed sources because those bucks are are needing to basically rejuvenate, recuperate, and rebuild after the rut before oh, yeah. winter kills them. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Out there breeding and and uh, and kind of showing off a little bit, using up all that energy. They need some. They need some carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah, they got to rebuild. It's it's back into into survival and build mode. And, oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, and that that goes. You know, that's when your uh, blinds next to food sources, your box blinds, uh, tree stands next to food sources, brown blinds next to food sources, whatever. Um, or if you're allowed to bait, obviously, uh, Wyoming or not. But if you are in that late season, that's that's where you want to be focusing your efforts. December, January. Oh yeah, and 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 you and down here, which I'm sure it's somewhat the same, and in, in, in most of every other place is, you know, those wintertime food sources. You know, you you've got to you've got to know what those deer are going to be eating. You know, exactly. down here with our hardwood trees. You know, if if we have a real good acorn crop that year, then you know, in that 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 late season after the rut when they're rebuilding, I mean, you can. You know, go and you might hang a hang a late season stand, uh, you know, next to a big white oak tree, you know, something like that. That's really producing a lot of acorns, and that could be like your honey hole for that whole in you know late part of the season with that 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 real nutrient uh, food source. You know, got a lot of carbohydrates and fats in it. They're trying to rebuild for the winter and and all that. And then uh, you know, and then but keeping the food there is a big thing. You know, if you're hunting a cornfield and that farmer cuts his corn, then you're kind of screwed a little bit you might need to add a little bit of something you know because it kind of in my theory is especially during the rut and like you say you know a buck can go up to eight nine miles during the rut chasing those does you know if you've got a good water source and food source available to you if you can boost it a little bit go ahead and boost it because if you keep the does there then those bucks are going to stay there you know so you've got more of a chance of shooting whatever buck that's in that herd that you're trying to kill if as long as you keep the does in that area yep for sure, that that's a great tip, you know, because obviously that time of year there, they got other things on the mind. They got a little rumble in the jungle down. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, and yeah, keeping those does in the area just definitely in your favor. So, mm-hmm. for sure, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing those tips, and uh, uh, there's definitely some great tips and tactics to help quite a few people out. So I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five 
is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney and Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.